Hi there, and welcome to this, which is the memory uh, webinar for May. And we are talking about creating smart buildings through uh, digital twins today. Uh, so I'm very, very pleased to uh, welcome uh, two guys along um, to talk today. That's uh, Steve Noon from Building IQ and Harry Sim from uh, Cypress Enviro Systems. And I'll ask those guys to introduce themselves uh, in a little while. Um, just a bit of housekeeping from my side. Uh, number one, um, we'd just like to thank uh, our sponsor for um, this year's series of webinars that we're doing, and that's Project Haystack. And I'd encourage um, everybody to go and check out the open source uh, project at uh, its project-haystack.org. And their aim is to simplify data for the Internet of Things. So they're semantically tagging data. Um, um, doesn't necessarily have to be from building uh, control systems, but um, that's certainly what one of their focuses. Uh, and it's really, really interesting um, project. So please go and check that out. Um, also, uh, really um, want to encourage everybody who's listening today to um, ask questions. Uh, the way we handle that, if, uh, if you guys type them in into the chat box, um, I'll get them here. And then uh, I can put them to, uh, to Steve and Harry um, when they finish their presentation. So yeah, without further ado, let's um, let's speak to the guys. Hi, hi guys, welcome, welcome to uh, Memory Smart Building Series. Hi, good morning. Um, maybe just we kick off. Maybe if you guys could uh, give us a little um, intro about yourself and and your business, that would be great. Sure. Uh, this is Steve Moon. I guess I'm speaking first. Uh, I'm with Building IQ. I head up um, marketing and product. Uh, Building IQ is a um, technology-powered services company for the buildings industry, and so uh, we provide something called the 5i platform, uh, which enables services from uh, visualization all the way through something we call predictive uh, energy optimization, which is uh, closed-loop control for energy uh, savings within buildings. Harry? Hello. Um, this is Harry Sim from Cypress and Biosystems. A pleasure to be here today. Uh, I'm the CEO and founder of Cypress and Biosystems. Uh, our company is uh, focused on, we say, making dumb buildings smart, meaning existing buildings that we need to upgrade to be fully digitized and use all the modern uh, advantages of uh, cloud-based control, uh, digital twins, and so on. Uh, we we have patented technologies. We are a product manufacturer. We're based in California in Silicon Valley. That's great. And um, obviously, we're talking about digital twins today. Uh, and you can see on the slide here, digitization of pneumatic controlled buildings through big data and IoT. Um, so yeah, if, if you guys want to kick off the presentation, we can we can go through that. And, and as I said before, if, if anyone uh, has any questions, then we can we can take those after the presentation. Great, thank you. Uh, so I'll go ahead and kick off. Uh, um, I thought I'd start. This is what we're going to talk about today. Um, our definition of the digital twin. Uh, I'll give a quick brief overview of building IQ. Uh, Harry will give a brief overview of Cypress, and we'll talk about um, how we enable the digital twin in pneumatic controlled buildings. Give some case examples and then answer any questions you have. So, uh, pretty simple, it's pretty straightforward. And so, I thought I'd stop, start with uh, the concept of a digital twin from Wikipedia. Um, I'm not going to have, have anybody read through this. You're welcome to look it up on Wikipedia. I just cut and paste out of Wikipedia for this. But what I thought was interesting. Um, hmm. Hey, my, my red my red highlights went away. <laughs> So I'll go back to this one. So what's interesting about this is the, the concept of integrating uh, uh, inter artificial intelligence and machine learning uh, and using uh, historical data, um, real-time data, um, leveraging human expertise, uh, and creating a, not only a digital representation of a building, but also um, looking at um, uh, the historical aspects of the building. So. If you combine all these things, you end up with what we're calling a digital twin. So you're looking at history, you're looking at the building, you're looking at the outcomes, um, you're creating a model, the model learns from real-time conditions, uh, updates itself, and does other things. So that's that's our definition of a digital twin from the Building IQ and 
um, Cypress' perspective, but it is also kind of sort of the, the generally accepted uh, definition of a digital twin. And when we apply that to um, a building, um, we need to, to understand where we are um, in terms of digital twins today. Um, a lot of what happens in digital twin, as far as the value proposition, stems from um, identifying what's going on in a building. So one way to look at this is you can use rules. Um, and you can do things like uh, if this, then that. And you can see this is you create these kind of rule flows. Um, you have to identify what types of things you're looking for, um, what things are out of bounds for the rules, and so on and so forth, which is a very time-consuming process and very knowledge-intensive. Um, where we're going and where we are in large part uh, well on the path toward is something that's uh, on the right, which is where we're combining artificial intelligence in different forms like machine learning, uh, using things like reinforced learning or extreme learning machines and using uh, data analytics to understand what's going on and using mathematics to understand uh, what's going on. So you don't have to focus on rules, you just have to focus on things like uh, change conditions. Um, and a change and what, what constitutes a, a change condition that's noteworthy is also based on machine learning or, or artificial intelligence where you have uh, your models uh, trained around what is and is not normal um, based on simple, simple logic and then real-time feedback until you build a model. So simple example, an oscillation in a building that may look abnormal because it's just um, uh, has a very fat, uh, rapid uh, sequence or cycle, um, and that may be normal because of the time frame you've chosen. Uh, but once you teach the models how to identify normal from abnormal, they can then be applied to real-time data. So that's the process in a very simplistic manner, but it means that you're not really creating rules so much as you're saying, hey, that's not right or that's right, and then the algorithms are figuring things out, figuring things out from that. And what you end up with is a very simple process in many ways. Um, you have a model, you can optimize for whatever you're optimizing for, whether it's just simple operating, um, whether it's uh, forward-looking uh, energy management or what have you. Um, you can do control, that can be either human or, or closed loop. Um, and that control is looking at real-time conditions, uh, but it's also uh, having a result. And from that result, you, do, you have learnings. And from those learnings, you can rebuild the model. And so you get this uh, vicious cycle, if you will, or learning cycle in, within the digital twin that allows it to get more powerful as time goes on. So that's a brief introduction to digital twins. And I'll switch uh, very quickly over to Building IQ. Um, I'll discuss a bit about who we are, and then I'm going to hand it off to Harry. And here, Harry will discuss about who uh, Cypress is. <clears throat> so. Um, our model is, um, uh, these are, this is a pillar scenario where we think of what we do in, in terms of the, the industry, in terms of five pillars. Um, very simply, we're trying to build a better building IoT. I think this is uh, pretty consistent with other companies who offer cloud-based services within the building's environment. Uh, we're, we're bringing in data. Uh, we have a model uh, where other companies may use physical models of the building. We use mathematical models. Um, we have some form of measurement and verification that's not quite the same as m &D, although we do offer that. Um, the notion really is you want to measure and verify what you do. Uh, the, third, the, the fourth pillar is uh, control. Um, you'll find various flavors of control uh, within uh, the digital twin arena of buildings and uh, cloud-based control, a lot of it's real-time. Uh, a lot of it's designed to kind of achieve a steady state or equilibrium. In our particular instance, it's a bit forward-looking. So we're doing actually closed-loop control based on a forward-looking model uh, to curtail energy consumption based on cost, typically. Uh, but the fifth pillar that's really interesting and also is uh, consistent with the digital twin is the, the idea of using human capital or human expertise. So no model is perfect. Uh, especially when we're talking about buildings, um, and the many, 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 many varieties of uh, things that can happen within a building that are influenced by human decision uh, and best practices. Uh, and they change from person to person as the building ages. And so it's very important to, when you're looking at the 
uh, philosophy of bringing a product to market uh, to understand that the human expertise, human knowledge, human advice plays a huge role in what's happening in a building. So that's incorporated into the way um, we philosophically build products, and that is uh, our fifth pillar, if you will. So um, our platform is uh, designed to operate in the cloud, obviously. Um, we, we are consistent in, in creating models, control models, comfort models, and thermal models, uh, doing training analysis and diagnosis, and all of that stuff happens uh, up in the cloud. Um, but just as importantly, we pull as much information uh, out of the building as possible, uh, whether we're working with uh, partners like Cypress or uh, working with a simple IoT sensors or a resident BMS or other sources of data. It's all being pulled out of the building, um, either uh, through someone's appliance or our own, into the cloud. And then, of course, APIs feed uh, bidirectionally, either our own services or unidirectionally, uh, typically, uh, pulling data from external services like uh, tariff tables or, or weather or what have you. So all of that is consistent with uh, creating a digital twin uh, for a building. But it also is very flexible from a building owner's perspective. And so uh, our company provides uh, services across a whole journey from visualization through analytics through control and optimization which makes a lot of sense because in a portfolio of buildings you're going to have buildings in various stages of of uh, capability, and you may uh, choose to hop on a, a journey towards greater efficiency uh, in any one of these stages. And so finally, we have a whole series of products that are sitting on top of our uh, platform, which we can discuss in depth in, in Q&A if you wish, but suffice to say, it's, uh, it's a series of services built on top of a platform, all technology enabled, uh, and most of them, if not all of them, um, in many ways, um, tempered by human expertise as well. Um, so that's my brief overview of Building IQ, and I'd like to hand it off to Harry, and Harry can discuss Cypress and our systems. Okay, uh, thank you, Steve. Uh, so again, this is Harry Sump, CEO of Cypress and Systems, and we're partnered with uh, Building IQ to implement these uh, cloud-based IoT solutions, but our uh, expertise is in working with older existing buildings and how to enable them to take advantage of all of the things uh, that you heard about. Now, Steve mentioned, you know, all these sensors that are pervasive in buildings, grabbing the data, doing the analytics, doing the control and the optimization, and that's great. There's a lot of benefits from all of that new technology. Unfortunately, a lot of buildings that are in use right now they don't have uh, a lot of the sensors in place. They don't have the communications. They don't have the networking. Um, so it's not possible to do the things that uh, Steve explained over the last uh, 10 minutes. In fact, what we see here in this picture are pneumatic thermostats. Now, if you live in North America, uh, which is where this technology is most prevalent, uh, you see a lot of these devices that are you know, from Honeywell, Johnson Controls, or Siemens. And actually, they're not uh, electronic at all. They're, they're pneumatic controls, which means they work on compressed air. If you take the thermostat off the wall, all you have are tubes there with compressed air, and the air moves dampers and valves. Uh, you can imagine with these, there's, there's no sensor data, there's no communication, there's no fault detection, there's no remote control. So it's not possible to implement uh, the things uh, that we really want to in modern buildings. So um, again, as I mentioned, uh, this technology is in about 70%, that's 70% of the non-residential buildings in North America. So that's a huge percentage, which is why we want to bring this solution up to you, which is how do we upgrade these buildings? Because if we don't do this, then 70% of the buildings are really not capable of implementing the uh, digital twin and the IoT solutions. So uh, next slide, please, uh, Steve. Oops, sorry. Yeah. Now, before I go on to the solution, uh, let's talk just a little bit more about what are the downsides of having the pneumatic controls, right? These are the pneumatic mechanical controls. Well, you know, it's, a, it's not only the thermostat that's uh, mechanical. We have uh, dampers, we have actuators with uh, valves, um, we have air pressure tubes, so we have calibration for pneumatic elements. So throughout a system um, that you are distributing and controlling the end terminal units in, in the building, where the people work and live, uh, actually, you know, the most important parts. You have a lot of um, uh, mechanical devices. Well, 
uh, in a pneumatic system, you have no data, so you cannot detect any faults. Uh, in fact, the occupants, the people in those spaces, those are your sensors, and they, they're the ones who tell you where something's wrong because they're uncomfortable. So obviously not something you want to rely on. You know, that's not what a modern building is about. Um, and we want to proactively be able to detect faults and correct them before people are uncomfortable, before we waste energy. That's one reason why we must uh, upgrade these uh, systems from the old pneumatics. Uh, next slide, please, please uh, Steve. Okay. In addition to the lack of fault detection, another penalty, if you will, for having these older controls is uh, you waste a lot of energy. Uh, that's because things that we take for granted in modern buildings, that you can program in things like a temperature set point enforcement or programmable occupancy zones, you know, when you have weekends or nights, uh, and you talk with the utility for auto demand response or doing fan control. I'm going through these fairly quickly because this, these are strategies we do in modern buildings all the time. But if you have pneumatic controls, you can't do any of them because there's no programmability, there's no communication, there's no remote control. So um, pneumatic buildings tend to use 20 to 30% more energy than a uh, fully uh, digital building. So that's another reason, you know, with, between this uh, energy waste and the fault detection, you really have handicaps uh, for these older buildings. And, and how do we now upgrade them to be able to take advantage of all those things? You know, do all these energy savings, talk to the cloud, talk, become IoT enabled, and have a digital twin. So we can go to the next slide, please, Steve. Okay. So um, the solution that we have uh, from Cypress and Viral Systems, it's a, it's a patented solution. It's a non-invasive upgrade. Now, why do we say non-invasive? Well, actually, the conventional way to upgrade pneumatic controls to digital is very disruptive. You have to rip open walls and ceilings. You have to run new wires. You have to replace the actuators uh, with motors. Um, usually, uh, it, it involves many hours of work, even for just one thermostat, and it disrupts the occupants. Now, because of the amount of labor and the occupants, uh, you're talking thousands of dollars per zone and uh, you know, huge uh, inconvenience for the occupants. It's really for that reason why so many of these systems are still in use, because once you have them, they're kind of embedded in your building and you're stuck with them. It's very hard to, to um, swap them out, if, if you will. So uh, what we have um, from Cypress and Viral Systems is a fairly new technology, fairly new. This has been around for almost 10 years now, and it's a non-invasive uh, retrofit. So uh, it only takes a, a few minutes, like 10 minutes, to do an upgrade. You basically remove the thermos, old thermostat from the wall. You connect the air tubes that are sticking out of the wall back into uh, the thermostat, uh, uh, the new wireless pneumatic thermostat. You mount it back on the wall, you press the buttons, and, and you're good to go. So you don't need to go behind the walls and behind the ceilings. Now, in case some of you still you know, not aware of what these uh, pneumatic thermostats do, those are the ones that, you know, when you pull it off the wall and those tubes are there, you hear the hissing sound like this. It's all compressed air behind it. Those, those two tubes there are not electrical wires or communication. Those are just air tubes. And that's what we have to connect to. We replace the old thermostat with a new one, connect to these air tubes, and then you enable the control. Once you have this new wireless pneumatic thermostat installed, you have basically full digital monitoring and control. So you have all the sensor data, you have the control and the communications, you can talk backnet if you're aware of that. Uh, and then now you can talk with the cloud and enable all those things that Steve talked about earlier uh, from building IQ. Uh, next slide, please. Okay. Okay, Steve. Yeah. Yeah, so thank you, Eric. So, so we, we can, uh, <clears throat> The next section is, is really uh, talking about how the, the combined solution works uh, to benefit uh, pneumatic buildings. And so as Harry was talking about, it's really a question of um, a lack of feedback and visibility and control, external control when you're doing um, uh, electromagnetic uh, pneumatic thermostats. Um, and then of course, there's no diagnostics that can be done. It has to be all done local and manually. Uh, at the same time, um, when you're when you're talking about uh, supplying a, a an external service like our own, like building IQs, um, without zone level feedback, we're 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 flying blind essentially. Um, we don't have the feedback that we need at the zone level. Um, it's also um, 
uh, creates a situation where we're, while we are doing uh, optimization uh, purely at the HE level, zero feedback, we run a, a very much increased risk of making people uncomfortable with your changes. And that uh, works very counter to uh, the goal of saving uh, electricity or energy uh, if you're becoming highly unproductive because of uh, people being uncomfortable. And finally, um, working with mathematical averages um, just makes it more difficult. It makes it less less accurate uh, when you're dealing with um, when you're dealing with a multi-zone uh, large building in the commercial space. So um, Cypress and Building IQ are combining our solutions. Um, it falls into the control realm where we're we're adding um, basically rolling in uh, pneumatic buildings into a larger world of digital twins. Um, it's a great starting point. It's probably the, it's it's the best starting point when you have an existing building and you want to roll up into um, uh, an energy controllable space. But you get so much more. Um, and so what we do is we we think of it as a journey. If your if your building is mentally controlled and you want to step into uh, a realm where you can do things like automated demand response or uh, smart set, setback strategies. Uh, you're going to want to take that first step and and ramp up from pneumatic thermostats to wireless pneumatic thermostats. Uh, it's a much more cost-effective way than going through something like a DDC upgrade. Harry, do you want to comment on this? Um, no, I think uh, you explained it fairly well. Yeah, basically, we want to do it with the least disruption and the least cost possible to get the same benefits. Yeah, so so um, maybe you can talk a little bit about the the wireless pneumatics um, once they're in place with a combination of this uh, external. If you could just talk about how some of the things you can do now that you've put in wireless pneumatic controls or thermostats. Sure. Yeah. Thanks. So um, essentially, um, once you put in the wireless pneumatic thermostats, you have all the functionality of a conventional digital thermostat. Many of you might have heard of DDC, Direct Digital Control. Uh, thermostats that can do communications, can do set point control, you can program them for night and weekend schedules, uh, you can uh, extract sensor data to, to create diagnostics, uh, you can program them to talk with a utility to do things like auto demand response, and they talk back net, right? They're part of an overall building management system that can send data to the building management system so that you can optimize Fully, as Steve was saying, a full closed-loop control. All the sensors from the zones can feed the data back to the building management system and do a closed-loop control from all the chillers, air handlers, and boilers, and so on, all the way to the end and data feedback. So that's what you expect from digital stats, and that's what you would get from uh, wireless pneumatic thermostats. So in fact, there, there's no difference from, from a digital stat. The only uh, main difference is that it's, uh, it's still... Uh, it, it takes five to ten minutes to install, and you keep the pneumatic infrastructure. You keep the same compressed air damper, compressed air valves, but now you have the visibility and control uh, that that you expect from DDC. Steve? Yep. Thank you. And so, so we combine the solutions. We end up with uh, an ability to visualize um, in multiple tools what's going on in your building. So uh, where you might have very very low granular uh, visualization uh, standalone. Uh, the combined solution gives you an ability to see what's going on at the zone level, uh, to meld that in with uh, the many parts of the BMS that can be trended. So any point coming out of your AHU or other other devices even that are tied into the BMS uh, can be visualized. Uh, and the addition of uh, the zone points and the temperature sets really give uh, facility managers an ability to look at what's going on. It gives us as a service provider uh, a means of optimizing uh, energy consumption without impacting uh, tenant comfort. Um, and as Harry was saying, it gives us the ability to do all of the th same things we would do with a fully digital modern BMS. Uh, we can enable that now in uh, pneumatic controlled buildings. So it's really um, a giant leap forward for buildings to be able to update from uh, pneumatics into digital pneumatics, um, and then to be able to combine that with full digital twin services, uh, you get the best of both worlds without incurring the cost uh, or the disruption of the DDC retrofit, which is um, kind of the easiest path to take because it's best, best understood, 
but it's not necessarily the best path to take for uh, the owner or the tenant. Okay, so I thought we could walk through a couple of case studies from each of our uh, separate companies to show you um, what they can do uh, independently. Um, since our, our, our collaboration is new, but I thought we would start with some things that uh, Cypress has done. Um, and so here we can discuss um, this particular case in Chicago. Okay, thank you, Steve. Um, so you know, we talked about uh, making dumb buildings smart and it's at existing buildings. Now, some of you might have this impression there are like ancient buildings that are creepy, but uh, that is not the case. In fact, many buildings that are very prestigious and new, like this one in Chicago, this one is on the West Loop. It's a, it's a building, a 65-story building, premium location next to this uh, Sears Tower, actually. And uh, it was built only in 1990, but it has uh, all pneumatic controls in the zones. Um, the, the building owner was able to upgrade the building management system. They have a Schneider uh, Andover Continuum system. They have upgraded some of their boilers and their, their um, air handlers and, and so on. Actually, it's all electric. So they upgraded electric uh, heating and their, um, their whole infrastructure. But the zones are still uh, pneumatically controlled, and uh, they have all the downsides that we talked about earlier. Uh, the customer wanted to upgrade this building to DDC, but uh, their plan to do it was over 10 to 12 years. They would wait until tenants moved out. They would gut and replace the whole floor and do all the work. And it, over a period of uh, 12 years, they would finally finish all 65 floors, and it would cost a fortune. And it was like a it's like $4 million or eight, more than that to, to get this uh, work done. Um, so instead of proceeding down the conventional path of using regular conventional DDC control, they went with uh, what I described, which is the non-invasive wireless pneumatic upgrade. Uh, then uh, this work uh, to upgrade the whole building only took uh, about uh, less than six weeks to do. Um, and once they installed it, the savings that were derived was uh, 33% reduction in HVAC energy use. So that was uh, huge. Um, they, in fact, for those savings, uh, the building uh, received the largest uh, rebate from the utility to ComEd. It was $440,000, the largest single rebate ever given by ComEd for a commercial building. And uh, this was done with virtually no disruption to the occupants at all. And uh, you know, from day one after the installation, they were already saving energy and people were more comfortable. So it shows you, you know, first, the reason why you'd want to digitize the building. Second is that the power of this non-invasive technology that you can do it so much faster and so much cheaper and get the same benefits as uh, what you would expect from DDC. Um, Steve, uh, next slide. All right. Um, so that was a, a relatively new building that I talked about earlier. Now, in, in fact, there are a lot of old buildings, and some of you may be working with these older buildings. So I want to show you what we can do with that as well. This case study is from um, New York City. Uh, and this, this is uh, actually you know, both case studies were independent. These are not Cypress and Viral System case studies. The earlier one case study was from ComEd. That's the utility uh, serving the Chicago area. And uh, this case study is from the city, uh, New York City uh, government. Uh, this relates to a school. So they have, uh, New York City has, uh, it's the largest school district in, in the US. They have about 1,200 schools. It, more than 800 of them are still pneumatically controlled. Most of them have pneumatic controls that control the hot water radiators uh, to provide heating to the schools. Um, and what we've seen uh, is that they're, they're, most of them are still, you know, this manual uh, pneumatic controls. And if they have problems, you don't know about them and your people are uncomfortable and they waste energy. Now, one school we installed in, this is in Queens uh, in, in, in New York City, uh, PS21. Uh, they had, um, uh, we, we installed our system and immediately we were able to detect faults. Uh, in fact, what we found was that these hot water radiator valves, the valves that you know, enable the circulation of the hot water, many of them are pretty old. They're like 50, 60 years old. Some of them were stuck open. You know, when they fail, they're designed to fail open. And many of them indeed have failed and are open. And that means the hot water is flowing through the radiator all the time. And you're heating all the time at 
and we find that the windows are open so that the occupants can cool down and you're wasting energy and making people uncomfortable and you're opening windows just to you know have some semblance of uh, you know uh, of, of more comfort um, so obviously not what they want but they had no ability to really figure out all these problems before because they didn't know what was really broken so once we installed the wireless pneumatic thermostats we ran the analytics uh, on them and we were able to pinpoint which of the zones have the problems they fixed the the valves and the savings just from correcting the broken valves was 20 percent reduction in energy use this is documented in the you know m and b before and after the installation this is before they even programmed in any saving strategies which would be additional savings on top and once they got the system working they could make it work even smarter but just fixing the broken thing they save 20 percent right off the bat and that kind of shows you know the power of the fault detection and the analytics especially if you have older buildings that you know you really have a, a infrastructure that's probably been degraded but you don't know where it is uh, having this type of controls and having the analytics uh, would be huge improvement to make the building more comfortable and more energy efficient. Uh, Steve, back to you. Thank you. Uh, so this next one is, is also in New York City. Uh, this is a large uh, Leeds building in, in town. It's a, it's a class A space. Um, and what we found here is that we were able to achieve a cumulative savings of uh, over 800K. Um, and the way we did that is really um, layering on a um, uh, our technology, which basically is what it's doing, is it looks forward um, uh, about 24 hours at the tariffs. Uh, and based on tariffs and weather, um, it determines what's the optimal temperature. And what we do is we guide uh, the BMS uh, through uh, optimized set points. Uh, to um, keep it below the threshold for discomfort, so in other words, taking advantage of the band um, and riding through the more expensive, hottest parts of the day. Um, and so what that means is basically, in this case, uh, about a 13% reduction in heating, venting, and air conditioning costs, or the electricity affiliated with that cost, which roughly translates to, give or take, 5% uh, of the whole building um, uh, energy costs. Um, this particular instance, it was a pure subscription model, so we are uh, not talking about any upfront uh, fees, really. Uh, it's all rolled into a multi-year subscription. Um, and part and parcel to um, uh, a service like this is we also are doing what we call um, um, outcome-based fault detection. Uh, and that would be something that's done uh, with Cypress or with their equipment in place, or even if it's a, a, an existing digital building. Uh, basically, we are applying um, a combination of technologies to identify faults. So rather than just provide a fancy alarming system, we're actually running it through algorithms uh, on our side. So we can, yes, detect faults, but we can also then do a first level of diagnostics, and then we can do sort of a second level of diagnostics with our own building experts to provide uh, prioritized uh, actionable uh, feedback off of the uh, diagnosis. So that's true whether we're uh, working with a full, say, BACnet IP-based system uh, or something that's been retrofitted uh, with Cypress's uh, wireless pneumatic thermostats. Uh, this next one is out of Australia. It's a, it's a hospital, St. John of God. Um, as you would expect, we're, we're, we're really talking about the common areas here. Uh, so administration, you know, waiting rooms, uh, things of that nature, as opposed to uh, um, uh, operating theaters or uh, ICUs or anything like that. So uh, it started as a six-month proof of concept. It's been extended since then. Um, uh, and we had a 5% energy savings goal, over 100%, but uh, after working with only 50% uh, of the available space, we were able to achieve our goals. So. What was interesting here is that hospitals, um, especially in uh, the North American market uh, nowadays, are very much under price uh, price pressure, and so any savings on the operating side that's possible is uh, is extremely beneficial to the bottom line. Um, and if you're following the hospital uh, industry, there's a lot of consolidation going on that's been driven by cost, um, and so what we do is we again offer. Uh, optimization services based on 
on cost. It can also be optimization services based on demand. So whether you're in a, uh, a market environment that is uh, pressured on demand savings and demand limiting, or you're in a market environment that's, that's got pressure based on pure uh, cost per kilowatt, uh, it works either way. Um, and in this particular instance, you can see uh, we were able to achieve a significant amount of savings uh, in a fairly short period of time of only six months. Um, and with that, um, I'd like to turn it back over to James because Harry and I are done with our presentation and we're open to questions and this is how you contact us. Thank you. Great. Thanks a lot, Steve, Harry. And there you go. There's, um, I guess if, if people don't want to ask questions now, then there are your contact details and they can get hold of you um, after this presentation. And um, we're making these slides available. So um, they'll be up on our website uh, as well as the recording of this. Um, and we'll put them up on our channels on YouTube and SoundCloud. So uh, if you guys want to listen again and get more details on some of those, uh, some of those case studies that they talked about, then you'll be able to get all, all of that information. Yeah, look, um, really interesting. And obviously, um, again, interesting to see how you've applied the technology. Um, I think the statistic that kind of like really stood out to me was obviously about how how much pneumatic control there still is in non-residential buildings, 70%. I mean, is, is that a figure of the US or do you find that, that's, um, that that applies to uh, other areas as well, like Europe, Australia? Uh, this is Harry. Um, so this is primarily North America. The pneumatic controls are used in North America primarily. They're a little bit in um, in the Pacific and in Australia and in, uh, in the Far East, but not in Europe. So it's, uh, yeah, the controls are very specific to different regions. So this is a very much a North America challenge that we're addressing here. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and, you know, I think obviously your approach is, is, is super interesting. It look at kind of, I guess you could describe it as kind of like a hybrid system, right? You're, you're, you're layering the pneumatic control with, with some digital control. That, that is right. Yeah, maybe just a bit of explanation for sure. your your audience. Uh, we're the the way that we do it. There's actually the pneumatic element inside is a bimetallic strip. You know, it bends one way when it gets hot, bends the other way when it gets cold, and that's what regulates that pressure, controls the temperature. So we use exactly that same uh, principle in our thermostat. So if you take out the batteries and you turn off all the electronics, it still controls the same way as it always has. For you know, the last hundred years, uh, we've had pneumatic controls. What we've done is basically put a robot on top of it, if you will. We have sensors that detect the pressure, the temperature. We have a little motor that can turn the knob and change the temperature when we need to. And we put a wireless antenna in there so we can communicate remotely. So yeah, you, the way you described is exactly right. We layered on top of the old infrastructure, a smart infrastructure, and kind of thinking a robot on top of the old thermostat that now enables you to have all these functions uh, but you can now do it remotely, and it's a lot cheaper to do. Right, because I guess instead of having to rip all this stuff out and, and you know, put in a, a completely digital um, building management system with all of the, you know, what's required, it's um, in this situation, you don't have to do that. Um, I get, do, do all the thermostats have to be retrofitted at once, or is this something that you can do on a, on a zone basis? Uh, it can be done uh, on a zone-by-zone zone basis, so it's yeah, not necessarily to do everything at the same time. Yeah, yeah so, so uh, it can be applied at the zone or floor level or tenant level, if you will. Uh, and the same would be true for um, building IQ services. I'd like to also point out that the, the hybrid solution, as you described, is really uh, philosophically where the companies are at. Um, you don't need to rip out uh, entire building systems in order to do an IoT type application or a digital twin type application. There's a tremendous amount of power in the existing sensing technologies that are embedded in, in most buildings. It's really just a question of picking and choosing where you're going to get the most bang for your buck um, in digitizing. Uh, in this case, we're talking about wireless pneumatic thermostats. Uh, in other cases, you may want to just deploy uh, localized uh, occupancy window sensing on a mesh network, much like Harry has done with Cypress, except uh, those types of devices. But at the end of the day, you're still leveraging some of the core systems that are in place. Um, and I think in every instance, as we move forward towards uh, pure digitization of buildings and built environments, 
it gives it this long, 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 decades-long tail of tens and tens of thousands of buildings uh, or millions of buildings that are going to require hybrid solutions. So it's a very, very rich, viable market for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess that's enough questions from me. We've had a bunch of questions from uh, from you guys out there. So um, I'm just going to go through them now as, um, as quickly as I can. Sorry if we don't get through all of them. Uh, we've got a good 20 minutes. We should, should be fine. We should get through everybody's questions. Um, I guess this one's for Steve. Um, is the 5i platform only offered as a cloud service or can it also be set up within the IT infrastructure of the partner? Uh, no, our, ours is a, is a cloud service. Uh, we've had customers uh, asked uh, to, to put it on-premise. Uh, the difficulty with on-premise is the, the management of the, uh, of the software pieces uh, and the harmonizing of uh, the communications between them. So while it can be done, it's, um, it's very difficult. Uh, it's quite expensive. But more importantly, it also negates the ability to uh, have systems learn from each other. So as we progress as a company, the 5i platform will adopt more and more uh, learning models. And those learning models include uh, models that, trans, um, right. uh, that crop uh, different customers in different types of buildings and different types of environments uh, so we can establish better and better uh, algorithms uh, and models. So on-prem is certainly possible. Uh, it's not the most beneficial, um, and it leaves a lot on the table. Right. <clears throat> so, yeah, obviously the advantage of the cloud means you can close that feedback loop, right, and get um, and self-learning, get, get, get more information to improve your algorithms. There is another question here about twins. Since a twin uses historical data to learn, how the building operates under many conditions, how can it detect poor performance if that poor performance is inherently within the historical data? Won't human expertise be needed for every setup of a digital twin to make sure anomalies and poor performance are detected? Anyone want to uh, have a go at answering that? I can answer it with, a, with an example that we have. Um, Early on, when we were looking at something um, called one-class classifier, um, our data scientists pointed it at uh, some equipment and immediately identified uh, a, a, an oscillation that they thought was anomalous. Um, I think they were using something like a, a 24-hour or 48-hour uh, time frame. So they started down the path of, of applying that towards existing uh, buildings in a test environment. And uh, what happened was that our building experts started looking at it and said, well, you know, that's, that's pretty normal for that type of equipment, specifically that, that piece of equipment. Um, and so there's an example of how we took um, in learning mode. So these, these algorithms are trained. Um, in learning mode, we apply a human that says, hey, this is, this is okay. You need, to, you need to expand your time frame, or you need to e extract that data and don't flag it as anomalous and retrain your classifier to look for a different type of oscillation. Mm -hmm. So that is that is the learning phase of, or the training phase of these things. So uh, that's that's an example from from a few weeks ago when we were um, uh, playing around with some uh, some forms of this um, one class classifier. So yeah, yeah the answer is uh, yes. Uh, you can do a lot, but uh, like I, like I said in my presentation, it's a, it's a, it's going to be a while before it's perfect. Mm -hmm. Sure. Another question here, um, are IWMS systems like Planon, Arquebus, et cetera, able to control your sensors today? Uh, measuring is just one side, but actively controlling them will be the future. Is, is, that, is that correct? Yeah. Harry, you want to answer this that? This is uh, Harry. Yeah, I, I would address. So, um, you know, obviously a thermostat is a control and a sensor. So, um, you know, we're actually not relying on putting in new actuators and new controls. We're relying on the existing controls and the actuators and adding the sensors and the algorithms to improve how the whole system, the whole control loop works. So, yes, absolutely, you know, measuring things, it's only one portion. If you can't do anything about it, you're not going to get all the benefits. But we're, we're not talking about just measuring. We're talking about doing or we're talking about sending commands back out to the controllers and getting set points and, and schedules and so on 
that would improve the overall control loop per performance, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, if I could add to that, I would say that from a market perspective, um, at the end of the day, a building is, is a building um, affiliated with uh, a, a very small set of people who operate that building, uh, sometimes one, uh, sometimes a few. Um, and depending on their comfort level with external controls, um, there's, there's a, there, there can be a fairly long um, period during which that that uh, those those folks get comfortable with the notion of uh, especially cloud-based control. So um, uh, when it comes down to that, uh, we as a company often engage for lengthy periods of times with customers before uh, we start controlling a whole building. So we may uh, purely do uh, fault detection uh, and monitoring. Uh, and advising services for some months before we are allowed to do, say, a floor for control, um, and then ultimately the whole building. So it's a, it's a stepwise progression, and that period of time can, can be lengthy to short. It really depends on the client. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, uh, closed-loop control is where we want to end up. Um, we can't force the issue. It's, it's a client-by-client -client, um, transition. Mm -hmm. And if and if let's say somebody wanted to get data out of this, um, I guess Five Eye platform or indeed from from the uh, from Cypress um, thermostat, can that data then be used for an IWMS platform? It, it basically, is your are you able to get the data out and use it in other systems? Sure. Um... Um, that, that's a that's a case by case basis from our perspective. Um, Harry Harry can can speak on his own behalf here, but when it comes to the Five I platform, um, we we can absolutely uh, provide uh, the pure trending data. Um, so we would typically take the kind of chaos of randomly named uh, devices. Uh, that may have been renamed over time with multiple building operators or multiple service providers. We harmonize them, and in other words, we map them, uh, and then we trend them. Uh, most importantly for BMS providers, we keep that data for a long, long time under your own lock and key. So we bring in the historical and the new, uh, and we maintain it. So unlike a BMS that may flush its data cache every two weeks, every month, um, we have clients that are holding, uh, asking us to hold data for 10 years. Um, so that gives you a lot of rich history uh, against which to create other services. Uh, and that is a um, partner by partner, client by client basis, depending on what we're doing. Okay. Harry can answer for his own systems. Yeah. Um, yeah, for the thermostats, uh, it's a similar story. There are two interfaces, so it depends on you know what your IWMS uh, software is capable of interfacing with. Uh, we expose data in industry standard BACnet, so that would be BACnet that's typically used for building automation systems. So uh, we have a BACnet server, and if you have a BACnet client, you can query to get all the data out from the thermostat through that protocol. Uh, in addition to that, we have a RESTful API, uh, which is very common now, uh, just using you know, IP technologies. Um, and if your IWMS system has uh, capability to query through the RESTful API, then you can also get full access to the data and then you put it into your IWMS uh, database and use it as you wish. Uh, there's no, uh, for our system, there's no license fees or any, uh, you know, things that would prevent you from getting on and it will be all included in the type of subscription that Steve was talking about with uh, Building IQ. Mm -hmm. Okay, great stuff. Another question here. Um, how do you keep the model of the digital twin updated in the case of refurbishments and renovations? How do you guarantee that the digital twin is one-to-one -one, um, the, uh, the situation on set? Is there a bi-directional information exchange between 3D CAD design systems and an exchange between enterprise asset management systems uh, to your solution existing? So... Uh, Tough one, that complicated, but um, you have some uh, thoughts on that? Yeah, our, ours is ours is done because we, we maintain a close um, relationship with the client. So the way the system works is um, uh, all of the um, BACnet IP-based data. So the system is BACnet 
an IP enabled, and then uh, all of the data is exposed. Uh, we collect and trend all that data uh, up in the cloud, and then we have um, both uh, uh, algorithmic or AI-based uh, detection going on, and then we also have human-operated uh, 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 network operation centers. And so uh, we have uh, account managers are tied to each client, um, and so the NOC uh, is looking at data and looking for interesting uh, anomalies uh, in addition to uh, just looking for kind of stray uh, operational issues uh, like um, equipment running over the weekend, things like that. Um, those are all communicated uh, in various forms to uh, the facility. Uh, and it's through that uh, communications methodology that we understand that tenant, there's, there's tenant move outs, um, that there are kind of exception shutdowns or retrofits going on um, in, in areas that we don't provide service. And then at that, that point, what we do is um, uh, rather than uh, have a, uh, an integrated solution with an with a EAM or, a, um, or an enterprise system, what we do is remodel, we remodel the system so that uh, our baseline metrics are consistent with the change. So uh, we can take any, any zone or any set of equipment offline uh, from the controls uh, perspective and the modeling perspective, but more importantly, from the client's perspective and the contracts, uh, we, would, we, we would remodel the system uh, and re-baseline it so that we're measuring against um, uh, what the system is actually doing as opposed to something it used to do six or 12 months ago. Um, so we say consistent with the client um, and we, we update the digital twin. Uh, we do not at this time do it automatically or programmatically as you were asking. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think another question here for, for you, Steve. Um, could you please explain what is meant by using a mathematical model instead of a building model? I, I think you made reference to that earlier when you were giving an introduction. Sure. Um, we take in about uh, 12 months of historical uh, energy and building data, uh, as well as historical weather data uh, and your historical tariffs. Um, and we run it through our modeling algorithms to come up with the optimized um, energy profile for the building. Now what's different is um, we don't care about the physical aspects of the building so much. So the type of glazing, the type of construction, uh, all of that kind of stuff is, is, is more or less irrelevant to us. Um, so our mathematical models are all based on, on the outcome and we're extending that uh, further and further with our data science research. Um, in others, they do, they, 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 they create kind of like a physics model um, where they do take into account uh, all of those factors like the thickness of the walls, the build materials, the, the glazing, the, the triple pane, low E glass, all those sorts of things to create a, a physical, a digital model based on those physics. Um, and we don't think that's necessary. It's really about the outcome. So um, there's two aspects to that from a, from a if you're not trying to go after, say, uh, retrofit, um, um, maintenance kind of issues or anything like that, you're really just worried about the input uh, and the output. Uh, and if your system is smart enough, uh, you can guide the inputs to achieve a desired output, regardless of how broken the system really is. Uh, that's uh, a methodology. A secondary methodology, which is uh, perhaps more revenue from a, from a vendor's perspective, is to understand uh, the chain of um, sequences that happen when you do a specific output input change and get a specific output, um, and understanding how that chain works and where it might be broken or improved. Um, from a client, from a vendor's perspective, our perspective represents revenue, and from a client perspective, represents uh, avoided cost. So, two different models. Um, neither of which re re uh, requires the physics of the building. So we can do all of this mathematically um, um, and, and we don't need to go on site to do anything. We just look at inputs and outputs. Mm -hmm. Oh, interesting. <clears throat> Question for you, Harry. Um, any examples of using these digitized pneumatic devices to help develop a digital twin for an entire building? Um, have, have, you, have you done that? Um, yeah, uh, well, actually, for the entire building, you know, most, a lot of buildings uh, already have the central plant digitized, uh, meaning, you know, they have a building automation system. They're able to upgrade those. 
they would have visibility for the digital twins for the central plant equipment, things like chillers, boilers, air handlers, fans, and so on. Um, what tends to be missing are the terminal units. Those are the, the, you know, the devices and the thermostats and the dampers and valves in the tenant spaces, which is very difficult to upgrade because it's so disruptive. So all, what we've described is how to get to that portion in the tenant space. Once that is digitized, we can use uh, BACnet and use existing communications infrastructure to combine that with the rest of the building. Then we have the full building. Right? So uh, what we see very often is that it's the zones that's the last most difficult thing to do. And that's what we're addressing. Once we get those digitized, we have the whole building um, uh, digitization, a whole building digital twin. Mm -hmm. Great. A couple more questions. Just got time for those, I think. Uh, how scalable is the Building IQ platform? Is it currently set up for energy efficiency, sustain, uh, sustainability based data from HVAC systems only? Uh, what about other deployments in buildings from uh, elevators, lighting, etc.? Yeah, so the system can take in anything. It is currently uh, set up um, really around HVAC systems. Um, and we're uh, incorporating both the air and the water side of those systems, so chillers uh, as well as uh, VAVs and AHUs. Uh, as a platform, it is designed to take in pretty much anything. Uh, so any data we can get our hands on, we can trend. Uh, so we can be begin the visualization portion at a bare minimum uh, with other systems. Um, from a partnering perspective, yes, we're incorporating, uh, beginning to incorporate more um, uh, uh, more, more systems that are kind of running in parallel to the HVAC system, like lighting. Um, not elevator at the moment. We're not having any conversation with elevator folks. Um, but certainly cab status or things like that can be provided, provided there's an API for us to pull, um, pull data from, that would be fine. Um, we're also working with systems where we don't have access at all to the HVAC system, so um, uh, sorry, to the BMS itself. And so in those systems, we're really more talking about a pure IoT play where uh, the client or a service agent of the client is, is, is representing data to us through uh, their cloud or their API or data on their database, um, but not providing access to the BMS itself. So we're, in that case, we're trending pure data. Uh, and anything anything is fine. Um, and all of that can be built into uh, our system and then run and then we run our diagnosis against that. So uh, whether we're looking for change in state, pattern recognition, uh, kind of long cycle data anomalies over long periods of time, uh, all of that can be done regardless of whether it's coming from an HVAC system uh, or a lighting system or just a collection of disparate devices so long as the, the data is coming to us. Mm, okay, uh, final question here for you, Harry. Um, how is the information from pneumatic from the pneumatic wireless thermostats brought to the cloud? Is it done um, through your own gateway? Um, is there any latency that can be expected? And can real-time workflows work through a cloud-based approach? Um, so the thermostats are on a typically five-minute uh, sampling rate. Uh, so I should explain that the, the, the regulatory control, meaning the control of the temperature happens instantaneously almost, right? It's just like the old thermostats that have the bimetallic strip. So all the time that regulatory control to maintain temperature is happening all the time. But what gets fed up to the cloud and what the controls and commands get sent to the thermostat, it's on a five minute cycle. So it's near real time. But, you know, when you think about buildings and how quickly they respond to HVAC commands, you know, there's a certain... Uh, latency in just the, the space heating up and cooling down and the temperature response. So five minutes is usually much more than adequate. You know, it's, uh, it's, that's about faster than most uh, you know, spaces respond. So uh, simple uh, answers, you know, it's near real time, it's five minutes. Now in terms of how the data gets to the cloud, in this specific case, when we're talking about the building IQ cloud, uh, we are talking with the building IQ through uh, back or it could be through the RESTful interface, and then the uh, cloud infrastructure is provided by uh, Building IQ. The Cypress uh, data, the, the thermostat data, is actually local on the customer premises. We have these uh, controllers called green boxes that store temporary data, and then the Building IQ cloud can either pull or be pushed uh, over the data up to the cloud, 
And again, you know, the, the fastest rate we can do that would be every five minutes. Okay, great stuff. Steve, could we go forward a couple of slides, please? Sure. So I just really wanted to say, um, first of all, thank you to um, our participants today, to Steve and uh, Harry. Um, I think you'll all agree that was some um, really interesting content. So thank you guys for, for taking the time to, to have, uh, have a chat with us today. Thank you. And I, I assume, you Thank know, you, if anyone has any more questions, then um, they've seen your uh, your contact details. So we'll let them get in touch with you directly. Um, I also just need to say thank you again to Project Haystack. Uh, again, um, all of this stuff super relevant to, to what they're doing as well, trying to semantically tag uh, information data from IoT devices to try and simplify, you know, how we can connect these different systems together. Um, so yeah, if you want to find out more about them, then please go to project-haystack.org. Um, also, just to say that you know we we are doing and have done a lot of research in this area, and we've got a new report coming out in a couple of weeks, which is all about connected devices in buildings. And we've done quite a lot of work over the last six months looking at that market and how it's developing, and and how we really are you know pushing ahead as an industry by connecting more and more devices in buildings. Uh, so, yeah, and also finally, just to say thanks to everyone who participated in all of the questions. Um, very, very interesting uh, debate. And um, all of this will be up on our website uh, fairly soon. So you'll be able to view it again on YouTube and SoundCloud. So thanks again. And, and finally, of course, thanks to Harry and thanks to, uh, to Steve. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, James. Thanks. Bye-bye, yeah. guys. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye.